Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Now, as I've mentioned several times before, Don Fisher is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. The legend. And a staple within the Indiana sports landscape. So that's why I wanted to get all of my vent out of the way first. So I got so like when we were on vacation, Shannon. Every morning, I have to get her coffee. I have to get her a venti coffee, right? I have to get the venti sure. to start the morning. I had to get my vent to start the show, so that with Don we can have a rational, calm conversation because that's what he obviously merits and deserves. So it's so good I've, of you. Yeah, serenity now, right? Well done. Don Fisher joins us on the program. Um, Don, I'll begin with this. I mean, obviously, we know that that there is huge disappointment amongst fans with this Indiana basketball team. And I know we've talked about just the frustration because you can see the talent, but just in the fact that they have not gelled together. But you've watched a lot of teams. And the thing that I always worry about is that apathy is going to set in with the players themselves and that they are going to kind of fall victim just in their body language to feeling the pressures of when things are not going well. Have you seen that at all versus, say, the middle of the beginning of the season with this particular group? Well, I don't. Here, here's the one thing I would tell you, Jake, and, and there is definitely frustration. There's no doubt about that. You can see it in the players, uh, how they walk after a ball game and head to the to the buses and, and get off the planes and so on. Uh, you can see that there's frustration there, that the, they're not playing up to their capabilities at this point. They're struggling with confidence. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure it's, you know, the, the longer this goes on uh, and that they don't get a win, uh, it's just going to continue to build. So that that's an area, there's no doubt. The frustration that we know that the fan base is having right now, I don't think there's any doubt that the coaches and the players themselves are feeling it all. And it, it, it manifests itself. And, and I don't know how you get out of that. But that is an area that Indiana is going to have to concern themselves with, especially here uh, at the end of the season. They have four games left on the schedule. Uh, they need wins in all four of those games. Uh, is that possible? It's possible. Is it likely? Not if they continue to struggle like they have here in the last several ball games. And like I said, uh, five at home this year, uh, a couple here of late. That really brings uh, to the forefront uh, the, the problems that this team is having. And Don, I, I, I guess the thing that worries me, and I want you to speak on this and tell me if it's way off base, but at this point where they are, when you consider both the expectation going into the season and just the bar of Indiana, albeit maybe even an unfair bar at this point, but the bar of Indiana in general, I look at it and I think to myself, even if they were to say win out, I, what did they gain from that? And I know that that sounds ridiculous, but in other words, like, can anything really be salvaged already, or are we too far gone at this point? Well, I can't answer that question because uh, right now they still have four games to go, and, and get my. I, I'm not going to get ahead of myself in regard to, to what this team is going to put, how they're going to perform. There's no way to judge that until they get out there and do it. Uh, the biggest. The biggest struggle right now, I in my mind, and why they haven't been able to win some ball games is at the defensive end. They're giving up way too many points in most of these losses. Now they're getting other teams are getting up into the eighties, uh, which means if you're going to beat somebody now, you've got to get in the eighties too. 
And Indiana's not capable of doing that because of the three-point shot. They just don't shoot the three-point shot well enough. So with the difference right now from my standpoint of why they're in this slump that they're in is at the defensive end. They've given up way too many three-point shots. Obviously, some of these teams get hot. Uh, you know, Tominaga is a perfect example of that. Uh, he torched Indiana the first half of the ball game uh, recently, and without question, it was a difference in the contest. They've got to start getting. They've got to start playing better defense. There's no question in my mind that that's right now where this team lies. And if they don't, they're going to have no success at the end of the season. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, let's take the first couple of seasons of Tom Crean out of the equation because the program itself is obviously recovering from the violations set after the Calvin Sampson era and what Crean had to build from the ground up. Let's just focus on his tenure, Archie Miller's tenure, and then what's happening right now with Coach Woodson. This stretch, when they hired Mike, I didn't think it was possible for there to still be flavors of apathy around the fan base from an IU team with him at the helm, and you've been around longer than any of us covering this game how does this feel and rank does it feel similar to those bad stretches underneath Miller and Crean I, I don't know I, I guess it does I mean anytime you lose and you're losing big at the end of a season uh, it, it feels like it feels terrible I mean it feels terrible for the fans it feels terrible for the players uh, for the coaching staff as well I mean Nobody likes going through this. Uh, the question is, how do you get out of it? Um, and, yeah, Indiana basketball has not performed anywhere near what it was in the Bob Knight era. It's just that simple. Perhaps uh, the Kelvin Sampson two years were pretty impressive when you considered what they were able to do bouncing out of the Mike Davis era. But at the same time, it didn't continue. And, of course, when Crean came in, he was left with a roster of nothing. Uh, basically walk-on guys, and had to rebuild it. Um, so not, then you're going through the process of, of hoping that this team can build off of what they did the first year, which was six wins, and they got 10 the second and then 12 the third. Then from that point forward, it started to build, and it was obviously very good for a couple of years. And it wasn't bad even toward the end of Tom Crean's career. Uh, uh, tenure, but his his next to the last year he was there, he won a Big Ten championship, um, and then it went through a, a really bad a season the following year, and of course he gets let go, and then Archie comes in, and everybody was high on Archie, thought he would get the job done, he didn't, and now we got Mike Woodson, and he's obviously having a tough third season at Indiana because he was able to get them to the NCAA tournament twice. Uh, but is Indiana basketball back to where it used to be? Not even close. And obviously that's the, the frustration, I think, with the fan base right now that they thought this would continue to build this year, and it has not. Don, has in your conversations with Mike Woodson, you know, like in post-game interviews and things like that, and obviously in your weekly show, has Mike Woodson addressed it all or or discussed the learning curve, if you will, and you and I have touched on this a little bit in these conversations, but just between the, the subtle differences between the college game and the way it's coached or prepared and the NBA game, do you think that that learning curve was steeper than he anticipated? I can't answer that question. You'd have to ask him, Jake. Um, I'm not asking that. I mean, I think Mike is a guy that is very routine-oriented. In other words, he goes at it every week. I mean, they practice hard. Uh, they work on the things that they need to work on. I think he, I think he does what every good coach does. Uh, he tries to get his ball club to play its best basketball. That's not happening right now. 
And how do you dig your way out of that at this juncture? And I, I'm not a coach, so I can't answer it. All I can tell you is that I think confidence and frustration are two things that this ball club is dealing with right now. And when I see those guys go out on the floor and start playing, I don't see quit. I don't see it's like they've just quit out there. They're not playing hard. I think they do play hard. Um, and they, they had a close ball game with Penn State. But they're not finding ways to win these games now. And that leads into all these other thinking processes that we've got going on right now about the negative of Indiana basketball. And, and until they win a ball game, it's not going to change. Don Fisher is our guest, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers in his 51st season. 51st, right, Don, or is this 52? No, this is 51 for me. 51, and, okay. <laughs> and trust me, it's not the best season that I've been a part of football or basketball. <laughs> it feels like 51 years in one, right, it's at times? Uh, kind of, yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Okay. It's a little frustrating for the broadcaster, too. So with that, Don, I told you this that last week I promised we'd do this. For fans, as much as just for our own group you know, therapy here, um, we're going to focus on the positive for a second. I want you to tell me, because I don't know that I've ever asked you this, in your years covering Indiana, you've seen a lot of great players. You've seen players that came in and were supposed to be great from day one. You've seen players that came in and we didn't know a lot about them and they turned into great players all across the board. Give me a player that when Don Fisher looks back on his broadcasting career, he thinks to himself, you know what? That guy was just a delight to be able to do his games because he was a good player, he worked hard, he got the most out of himself, and he just represented the school well, and it was always a fun, fun time doing his games. Well, it's my favorite player, and that's Randy Whitman. I mean, I didn't know what to expect when Randy came to Indiana. I know he was a really good high school basketball player at Ben Davis. I knew his parents. They were befriended my wife and I and our family when we first got here uh, back in 1973. And Randy was just, I think, about 10 or 11 years old at the time I got here. And then he became a really good player that Indiana recruited and came to IU. And then he played unbelievably good basketball his entire career. He was at IU for five years. He had to sit out one year. I think it was an ankle injury that uh, he had to sit out with and didn't get to play hardly at all that one season. He came back, and he he was just – he was an incredibly talented player. But on top of that, he wasn't the greatest athlete in the world, but he was a basketball IQ machine. He was so smart out there on the floor. He made very few mistakes. He played point guard most of the time at 6'5", and not all that quick and fast, and yet he didn't make many mistakes, and he shot the lights out when he did shoot it. He wasn't a guy that took quantity shots. He was a guy that took quality shots and knocked down 50-plus percent for his entire career at Indiana. So he's, he's probably the one guy that probably came in unheralded, uh, all that much from a, a high school perspective, and yet turned into one of the best players in uh, college basketball at that time. Am I correct in saying, Don, I, I mean, my recollection, two things about Randy Whitman that I remember the most. First is I probably shot 15,000 baseline jump shots in my driveway thinking I was Randy Whitman. Um, and it, for that matter, he might have only hit one of them in his career against North Carolina going into the half in the national title game, but I've never forgotten it, right? But he strikes me as one of those guys – that was a Swiss Army knife, and by that I mean Bob Knight could have come to him before any game and said, Randy, we have a situation here, and I've got to have somebody to slide out of position and do X instead of Y, and I've picked you, and he would have said, okay, and done it and done it well. Like, he was very versatile, but am I off base in saying that? 
Oh, no. no. I mean, he played the one guard, the two guard. I mean, when, when Isaiah was there and they won the national championship, he was the two guard. And he did hit the baseline jump shot at the end of the first half of that North Carolina game that gave Indiana its first lead in the contest. So um, that always stuck in my mind, too, about Randy. It was a critical shot uh, and, and critical to give Indiana some momentum. But uh, he, he was just a, a terrific player. He was a team guy first. Uh, you never had to worry about him, you know, uh, off the floor or any of those kinds of things. Just a terrific young man, and obviously uh, turned into an NBA career and a coaching career at the in the NBA as well. So, and he's still he's part of Mike Woodson's uh, counselor staff that comes to uh, some ball, consultant staff that comes to ball games on occasion. And he was just here, I think, a week ago. So um, he's still around. He's still just the same Randy Whitman. Is is that 81 run, Don, you know, at the time that Indiana won the title in 81, they had the record for largest margin of victory on average in the NCAA tournament. I think Vegas in 90 might have surpassed that. But when they caught fire and Isaiah got going and Landon Turner got going, I mean, it was just an absolute – brush fire through the tournament was that as fun a run as you've had no oh, no question about it i mean that was that was really fun and that team started the season if you remember seven and five they got beat in hawaii twice and they came back home and knight was absolutely beside himself with, about the performances in hawaii and it, that team really didn't take off like it was capable of until landon turner finally figured it out and he started uh, – he, he got off the bench finally. I think he had five or six games. He didn't play at all. But Coach Knight kept him on the bench. And then all of a sudden, I think he came in off the bench against Northwestern and had like maybe 10, 11 points, something like that. Looked pretty good. And from that point forward, that team took off. And when, when Landon finally figured it out, he was the difference in that season for that Indiana basketball team because he was spectacular through that tournament. Don, I knew that things were different in Indiana when I was a kid and we were driving to Florida for spring break to go on family vacation during the 81 Final Four, and we left Indiana on a Saturday to go down for Florida, and my dad got a hotel for three hours on the way down so we could watch the LSU game in the semifinals, then we got back in the car and continued driving, and I thought, you know what, this is a different religion down here, right? Like, like <laughs> IU basketball is a different deal, man, but... And that LSU game was over and done, and then on to Carolina and winning in Philly in title number four out of five for Indiana. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, again tonight after the Pacer game, you can hear IU basketball inside IU basketball with Mike Woodson. Don will be on the call. And then, of course, the Hoosiers back in action, taking on Wisconsin on Thursday. Don, a pleasure as always, and uh, hopefully a win to talk about next time. Yeah, Tuesday night for the – tomorrow me. night for Wisconsin, yes. Sir. Excuse, you know what? I had TMR <laughs> written down in my writing so bad I thought it said Thursday. Sorry about that. Man. Tomorrow <laughs> well, night with I Wisconsin. I misconstrue some of the things I write too. <laughs> <laughs> Don, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Don it. Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Over the weekend, though, on Friday, the headline, Federal Judge's NIL Ruling Throws NCAA Into Chaos, quote, turning upside down, a preliminary injunction could be a boon for college athletes. A federal judge, this from the New York Post, 
ruled on Friday that the NCAA cannot enforce its name, image, and likeness rules that block student-athletes from negotiating deals with boosters. It took me nearly 30 years to graduate from college and seven attempts to graduate, or, or excuse me, pass algebra. So I knew I needed somebody who could explain this in more simplistic terms so that I could understand it. So Les Morris, who's an adjunct professor that essentially created a class at Indiana University in NIL media branding, joins us on the program. Les, always a pleasure. How are you? Great. Great. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Okay, let's begin with this. And, and Les, you and I have had enough conversations that you know this over the years when talking to me. Um, I have the maturity level of a 15-year-old, so I need you to talk to me like I'm about half that. This exactly means what? For those that are listening in our audience that are not totally aware of NIL and the NCAA's involvement with it, where do things stand now? What what was it initially designed for, and, and how has it been forced to change and evolve? Jake, it's really a, a process that uh, in my class, uh, we, we go back to athlete empowerment all the way back to professional baseball and Kurt Flood, who you know of, and certainly from your St. Louis days, and, and Flood Flood's case, although he lost at the Supreme Court, essentially ushered in free agency in baseball in the 1960s. And if you follow that through line to uh, collegiate, intercollegiate sports, one of the seminal figures who I know you've heard of is Ed O'Bannon. And O'Bannon sued successfully and uh, won rights to the e- an EA game um, where he was featured without his knowledge. It's sort of interesting. He he walked in, he was working for an auto dealer in Las Vegas, and he walked into a friend's house, and the friend's kid came up to him and said, hey, I, see, I know you from my video game, and he had no idea what it was about. So eventually, this led to a court case uh, in the summer of 2021 called Alston, which was the case that, although it didn't deal with NIL rights specifically, Jake, it it was uh, very important, and it turned the table so that on July 1, 2021, we essentially started the NIL era. The NCAA said, in effect, we are not going to be able to um, police this anymore. We see what the Supreme Court has done. The Supreme Court, in the Alston case, issued a unanimous 9-0 opinion against the NCAA. And the majority opinion was was not as scathing as the concurrence written by Justice Kavanaugh, who blasted the NCAA, saying that the whole notion of amateur athletics was folly. And that concurrence is still quoted in almost every decision and, and legal review article that's published today. So they, the NIL era started on July 1, 2021, And essentially, there were only three things that NIL was not. One was you couldn't have pay-for-play. So in other words, if a Purdue player scored 20 points, you couldn't pay him $10 for each point he scored. Another prohibition was that there had to be some work performed for the NIL. Now, that work could be a social media post on, on a platform, and commonly was. So or it could be a, a holding a camp or signing autographs. And then the third, which is what led to Friday's decision, 
the prohibition was you, NIL could not be used as a recruiting inducement. Friday's decision issued by Judge Corker of the, eighth, of the Eastern Tennessee District Court, Federal Court, ruled that collectives and athletes, and collectives are third parties that are middlemen between donors and student athletes. We can talk about that in a minute. But essentially now, these collectives can negotiate NIL deals as part of the recruiting process. So it doesn't have to be a general, well, we have, our, our school has NIL capabilities, we have these collectives. Now you can offer, if they enroll, you can't go to contract with the student athlete, but you can say, here is an offer that we will make to you upon your enrollment. Similar to any non-athlete, Jake, who would get a package of inducements from a school. So what this is allowed is what it will allow is greater transparency in terms of offering recruits NIL deal. Okay, so and that's different. Less so we'll use. Okay, we'll say we'll use me. Okay, and let's say that I am a a premier basketball recruit, and I am still in the open market, and I have five universities that are that I'm down to for my services. I can still I can't take money from any of them until I sign a letter of intent with them. Is that that is a true or false statement? True. Okay. And that's so once yeah. I sign so let's say I sign with State U and I don't mean Indiana State, I'm just speaking generically here, right. okay? But right. I sign with State U and they say, "Hey, we're going to give you a $500,000 NIL deal." So I signed my letter of intent, and now not only am I getting a chance to go to school there and play basketball there, but I'm getting a half a million dollars for it. That is right. different. Be- Friday's ruling makes that different than how if it had been a year ago. Because a year ago, you couldn't, you couldn't give that recruit a specific offer. You could just say, well, we have an NIL pool that last year raised $10 million for our football team. But you couldn't tell that recruit that if he came to said state university, this is an offer, and he would he would get this this money upon enrollment. Gotcha. Okay. Second question, less. So, in other words, I am now able. So I am now as Jake Query, the 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 top rated shooting guard in the country. I'm able to say to my five schools, "Hey, I've got you on my list." But you come to me with anything other than five hundred thousand dollars, you're off. You're you're out of the mix, right? And I could not have done that a year ago, but I can now. Correct? That's correct. Okay. So then the second question is this, and that is that, um, during like once I'm there, and I get that five hundred thousand, I, do I have then the right to after a year, if 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 I so choose to then. You know, is it a contract that forces me to stay X number of years, or is that to be determined between the player and the school on an individual basis? Well, the school the school is not involved except to the extent that you know most this will force and, and the NCAA wants this NIL deals to go to contract. Um, that's that's by far the best practice. It's not required, but most schools have in their NIL policy that they. They want to see a written contract. 
Um, and that would all be spelled out. Players can have representation, and as you know, there is a whole group of people that are becoming NIL agents or holding themselves out as NIL agents. Unlike professional leagues, there's no certification process. I, I couldn't become a NBA player agent today unless I went through the certification process and passed the exams. But in the NIL world, at least as it exists now, Jake, that's not the case. Anyone can hold themselves up as an NIL agent. And, you know, you hear about the dark side of this. Sometimes that's, that's a part of it is that you have, you have agents, so-called agents, promising things they can't deliver. But, yes, that would all be spelled out in the contract. Okay, uh, so, but in other words, Les, Les Morris is our guest, by the way, who's an adjunct professor, uh, professor teaching NIL media branding for Indiana University. So, in other words, as I am trying to make sure that I can get $500,000 from State U, it is not an ambassador directly of State U that I am working with. It is rather people that represent the athletic booster of that, a la whether it be car dealers or business people or just independently wealthy people that want to see me playing for State U. That's who's paying me as opposed to the university directly? That's exactly right. And that's really an important point because it's not the university, it's the collective. So in other words, think of the collective as a funnel. Donors donors fund money into collectives. So like at, at Purdue, there's the Boilermaker Alliance. At, at um, Indiana, there's the Hoosiers Connect and Hoosiers for Good. And then those intermediary organizations pay the players. So the contract, the, the school is out of it. They're, I mean, they review it. They make sure that the contracts aren't for you know, alcohol, tobacco products, anything that would would reflect poorly on the university. But uh, absent that, um, they're they're not a party to the contract. They review because they certainly don't want to get into trouble. But but they're not a party. And in fact, that's what started the road to Friday's ruling was that it, it involved a quarterback for who ultimately enrolled at the University of Tennessee. And Tennessee got wind that the NCAA was investigating the recruitment process of this five-star quarterback. And the Attorney General of the state of Tennessee, joined by the Attorney General for the state of Commonwealth of Virginia, filed a lawsuit against the NCAA. And they first said, you can, we, we're going for a temporary restraining order, but you, you cannot you cannot shut us down in terms of recruiting this kid. We have, we can make an offer and that failed. The judge said, no, I'm not granting you a temporary restraining order. Then the parties came back and tried for a preliminary injunction. And that's what was granted on Friday. So right now we have this preliminary injunction. The NCAA issued a, a very uh, anodyne statement on Friday, but, um, you know, we'll see where this goes. I, I, there's just so much up in the air. I mean, as an example, you know, this is next week on Super Tuesday, March 5th, politically, we're going to have another vote, and that is the Dartmouth men's basketball team recently was allowed to, uh, was recognized as an employee group 
by the National Labor Relations Board. So on Tuesday, they're going to vote on whether to become a union or not, whether to be part of a union. So we've got a lot of a lot of things going on here, Jake. And I think the bottom line is that, in my opinion, we're, we're ultimately coming to a place where student athletes are going to become employees. How and when we get to that is, is a question, but we're, we're really going that route. I don't think that can be debated. And the NCAA is coming back and saying, we want federal legislation on NIL and whether and what student athletes are. They hired Charlie Baker, I think, in large part because he's a former governor of Massachusetts, had a lot of political capital and experience, and they're, they're hoping that Congress will take this issue up. They have in terms of in terms of committee hearings, but we don't have legislation at this point, which is what they're counting on and what they mentioned in their statement on Friday in response to this ruling. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Les Morris, adjunct professor at the IU Bloomington Media School, taking some time with discussing NIL and the latest from the ramifications of the ever-changing landscape. Les, you mentioned transparency. I've read that a lot the last couple of days, and I believe, at least from the student-athlete or the athlete standpoint, it is imperative that they have a market or understanding of what their market value is through this process. That transparency... Who does it impact more? The individual NIL collectives at each school now knowing it's less wild, wild west and at least understanding what type of money is going towards player A? Or does it impact the players themselves more now understanding where their value is in the free market? I think it'll impact the the collectives more. Um, I had some correspondence with a few directors of collectives over the weekend and they said that that they're really excited about this because it's going to make them more aggressive and they're going to be able to behave in more overt ways and um i think i think you'll see a lot a lot of uh uh, changes in the collective world that they'll be uh more and more open i you know i i think that um we, the athletes, Ryan Day, the, the football coach at, at Ohio State, not this past summer, but the summer before, famously said at that time he thought it would take about $13 million in NIL money to keep his roster at the, at the highest competitive level where they're at. Um, so I think student athletes know there are a lot of valuation services out there. They pretty, know, pretty much know in the ballpark what their market value is. Uh, but I think this will really uh, force collectives or allow collectives to uh, sort of have the shackles taken off and they can be a lot more aggressive and transparent. So I think that's where it will have the biggest impact. So let's theoretically, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, in conclusion, this this benefits the big boys more than the little guys, correct? Yes, and, and, and it always has. I mean, you know, NIL – that's sort of a misnomer. We hear stories about the Texas quarterback getting the Lamborghini, or we see Caitlin Clark with the insurance commercials. But um, you know, by and large, those are those are outliers. And but yes, to answer your question, 
it would it would impact more of the more of the power four conferences than, than anything else and and obviously more football i mean you know i think football is just separating itself completely from the other sports and uh and the power four are obviously uh, separate from from the rest of the schools playing division one football Les Morris, again, is an adjunct professor at Indiana University talking about NIL and NIL brand for student-athletes. Les, in conclusion, you and I have known each other a long time, and sometimes I get tired when I listen on the radio and I hear a host like talking to the person personally, and I'm like, yeah, the rest of the audience has no idea what the conversation's about. But just so that people know, you and I have known each other a long time, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we first met – um, when you were writing for a Shelbyville newspaper about the Pacers and I was working at a cigar store and you came in the store, I think a few times as well. So you would know that my NIL brand awareness and marketability is far higher as a cigar salesman than a radio host, right? Isn't that right? No, I don't believe that's true. I think you, I think collectors would, would love to Love to negotiate with you, Jake. <laughs> if it comes to figuring out whether you want a Hoyle de Monterey or a punch, I'm your guy, right? Um, <laughs> Les, right I appreciate on. it, man. We look forward to having you back on. As this thing continues to to move forward, uh, we may try to invite you back on to continue to keep us abreast because I think it's only going to get bigger and this thing is starting to roll downhill pretty quick. So I appreciate your explanation of all of it. I'd love to come back on. Thanks for the opportunity, Jake. I appreciate it. Uh, And again, Les came up with that class at IU. He went to them and said, you know what? Here's a way that that I can teach something that student – and what's amazing is I think that young people in particular are far more abreast at all of this and what it means than, you know, those of us that are watching it unfold before our very eyes. It's like – it's kind of like technology, you know? Like the younger you are, the better you just have kind of an overall feel for it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. NFL Combine Week is upon us. Going to be a busy week for all of us, including our next guest, of course, Mike Chappell of WXIN and CBS Channel 4 joining us in covering the Colts. Chap, I will begin with this. I'm going to take Michael Pittman Jr. off the board. We'll get to that. Uh, And your opinion, be it nationally or locally for the Colts, biggest storyline heading into the combine would be what? I posted this about my three or four things that Ballard and Steichen will address on Wednesday. Pittman was one. And my number two was getting an update on Anthony Richardson. He began throwing, I think it was last week, had surgery, October, whatever it was, 24. And, and I mean, he's only only the most important player on the roster. So that – and then, you know, where do they stand on their other pending free agents? And it's funny, all of the uh, – of all the questions that they're going to field, a lot of them, they won't <laughs> – Chris Ballard won't address because that's that's not what they do. They don't talk con- very seldom talk contracts or where they are franchise fr- you know franchise tag long term deal for Pittman or you know re-signing Riggo or Kenny Moore or Grover or whomever. Those are the main things, and, and then we'll talk on areas of interest or areas of concern with the roster and all that. It, it's really important to talk to these guys. This will be the last chance. Some, some guys will go to the league meetings and they'll have Sykin and 
in Ballard, but for, for the most of the Indy media, this will be the last chance to talk to these guys prior to the draft. So you you, you just you kind of hit, hit try to hit all the areas, and, and it, it's funny you always hear after these things, maybe after the, the the state of the team that we got from Ballard and even Steichen at the end of the season. But you guys didn't ask the hard questions, you know. You got to keep, you know, at some point when you're around Ballard and you're around Steichen, you understand what questions are not going to answer or 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 be very vague about. So, if you want to be macho man and really really pursue, you know, quite a line of questioning, whether it's on a suspension or whatever, or fine, go ahead. But it's when your guys that that are around these guys every week during the season. You understand questions need to be asked, but then you understand at what point does pressing an issue simply make you feel like you're you're more important than you are. So, again, we'll talk to Ballard, I think, is at one thirty on Wednesday, and we get Steichen at, I think, 3.30, I think it is. And we ask the questions, and they'll answer what they want to answer. Well, they'll answer everything. It's just we won't get a lot of specific answers on much of anything, but that's the game we play. The Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS4 is our guest. Chap, we're about two weeks or so, give or take, from the start of free agency. I know Michael Pittman Jr. is the biggest name to discuss, and will they tag him, or will they agree to an extension, or does it go tag to extension? But either way, likelihood is he would be still a member of the Colts next season. The rest of the free agent class itself, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, Grover Stewart, how aggressive compared to the pursuit of free agents outside the building, do you anticipate the Colts being when that period opens on their own guys? Very. Uh, I, I think their target has always been, you know, prioritize their own guys. You know, it, it, personnel matters are always risky because you're talking, you know, you, you just there's so many things that don't that, that play into things that you can't control. When a player finally gets the big contract, does he still have the motivation, injuries, all that stuff? You would much rather invest uh, pretty good contracts and players you know, you know, players you drafted. Zaire Franklin, perfect example. Uh, you drafted this guy, and he's been with you. And he's a guy that's not on that list that needs an extension. I'll keep pounding that drum until it's done. He, he signed a, was it three years, $10 million, I think it was, an extension, I think. And, and as he pointed out, and rightly so, it was because he was a core special teams player. Well, now he's you know, twice set the franchise record for tackles in back-to-back years. So he, he needs an extension to Forrest Buckner, maybe. But they're always more inclined to overpay. Yes, you overpay. You overpay for a lot of guys. But I'd rather do that on somebody I know. I, I, I know is I, I, he's got a track record with the team. You know his work habits. You know how he is in the building. Whether it's Shaq Leonard or Braden Smith or Naheem Hines or Jonathan Taylor, you want to re-sign your own. And then what they've always done is try to complement that with that second-tier free agent. This is Jamal Sherrod, Namiko uh, Autry's, and most recently, you know, Samson Ekubom. Those are guys that they really got were great deals that they didn't overpay at the time for because the odds are, are better that you're going to overpay and not get what you paid for as opposed to, hey, we really hit on that guy at a high price and he came through. So I, I think that by free agency starts March 13th, I think we'll have a really good idea. If I think we'll have the main guys that they want 
to resign resigned because when a guy gets on the market if, if you're the right guy at the right position there's a good chance your your price is going to go up because that's what the market does it cap went up to 255 million which is probably 15 million than a lot of people anticipated so it's just when you're talking this kind of numbers in in two three year deals you'd rather get your own guys so Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman and Rigoberto Sanchez and Grover Stewart and whether they do Minshew, I don't know. That may be one where the guy goes out and tests the market to see what he wants. Maybe they want maybe they want to go a different direction there. But, you know, the next step is re-signing your own guys. Well, the next step is probably the tag, because I think you do the tag on Pittman regardless. I, I just don't know that they can get that long-term deal done right away. You know, it, deadline spur action. I think the deadline, the deadline to get the long-term deal done, if you tag Pittman, is like July, mid-July. Uh, but you, you tag him just because it buys you time. And the fact that it's going to be a pretty massive contract, it's just hard to, for me to imagine they'll get that done sooner. Not, I, I think it'll be later, not sooner. So it, it's always the next step is always trying to re-sign your own, and then you've got a better idea of what you need to address in the draft or free agency. Free agency and then the draft, because if you, if you re-sign, if you retain Pittman, which they probably are going to, then if you re-sign Kenny Moore, then then cornerback is still important, but not quite as important. Safety with Blackman, same thing. Grover Stewart. It's always trying to, to limit the damage or the leakage from free agency. Chap, if you had to, to guess, Mike Chappell is our guest. When it comes to the NFL Combine, I have my own thoughts about how the league itself has, like, kind of shifted from this being like the end-all be-all top secret area 51 thing to like well you know it's just kind of an overview you know etc but right having said all of that if you had to guess give me the most recent player that became an impact player that you can think of that the combine is where they truly introduced themselves to the colts and got on their radar wow that's a good question uh Top of my head, I don't know if I can tell you or not, but, but because again, these guys have done their homework coming into here. The, the combine sort of, you know, refreshes or you know, you hone in on guys. Boy, I, I, I don't know if I can give you guys, and there's probably somebody that just should jump out. Uh, it's obvious from last year they really, really uh, favor guys who test well. I mean, on field test well, the forty times and the all because most of the guys that they drafted were like at the top of their position whether it's the offensive lineman, whether it's the quarterback, obviously. But, boy, a, a player that really came – because I, I always have a problem for a guy who, when the, when the combine's over, they say, well, this guy, man, this guy really – we didn't know about this guy. Well, everybody knew about this guy. You know, you, you, and if, if the combine blew you away, then what were you doing before that, that this guy wasn't on your radar? I'm sure there are guys, and I'm just drawing a blank, maybe you have someone in mind. But nobody I, I don't. The Mike Mamula type guys back in the day. I don't. Yeah. I just don't see those guys prevalent. I, I, I kind of get the feeling, Mike Chapel, and you tell me if, if you agree with this. But I kind of get the feeling that at this point, in a perfect system, the way it should be, would be that you have been able to start to wither down your lists based on film and interviews and scouting. And the combine is the opportunity for you now, quite frankly, to find out why you should rule them out. 
if if you're using the combine and a guy's shuttle time and high jump to convince you to draft them, then then they shouldn't be a guy you're drafting. Rather, it gives you the opportunity to get to know them to see if there are warning flags on why you shouldn't draft them. I, I, I agree. I think for the most part, not just the Colts, almost all teams kind of know what they're – not saying what they, they've got their board lined up because so, there's so much work yet to do, the combine in pro days and all of that. But I just think you know roughly – who, who should be where and how they, they stack up. And I've always thought that, you know, when you start ranking the importance of the combine and what you get done there, it's medicals are one. The medicals are the most important. And then the psychological testing, which to me includes the interviews, I think whether you have 45 or 60 players you can, you can formally meet with. And that's when you really – that's when the GMs and the head coaches really, really get involved with these players because – You've got all these scouts, area scouts, who they, you know, this guy's got the SEC, this guy's got the Big Ten, and and, and they've done that. They've done the, the groundwork. They, they've done the hard work on, like you said, winnowing players down, and they get to know these guys. And when they talk to a receiver at the combine, Reggie Wayne will be in there. When they talk to defensive line, the new defensive line coach will be in there, and uh, and, and the scouts will be involved. But like I say, I just I think you're right that, that if a guy has a, a has a good combine, you say, well, yeah, of course he did. He, he, look, look at his tape, look what he's done, and this reinforces. And if a guy has if a guy has a bad combine, and injury is not a factor, a hamstring, whatever, he's coming back from surgery, whatever. If a guy is in peak condition and he has a bad combine, you say, wait a minute now, what's going on here? Because this I've always said this is every player's most important job audition it just is and you've known about it since the last day you played at your college you you know what the date is and and over the last i don't know what it's been 10 15 years all most of these players they, they go to they go to pre-combine work whether you know uh, uh st vincent's uh, sports performance used to have that maybe they still do i've gotten away from that but these guys you've got such a sharpened candidate in front of you how many times i mean we talk to these players what well, we, we can talk to 300 players i've never been called yes sir and no sir more in my life than <laughs> right. when you talk to these guys because they know how important this is and first impressions are important these guys go through interviews they go through all these drills they go through the three cones and, and they hone themselves on on how to come out of the blocks on the, on the 40 and if a guy has a bad combine, you think, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Or, or, or remember Ryan Leaf came in here and he was like 20 pounds overweight and he was already a big guy. You wonder how a guy's wired when you know the most important day in a guy's athletic life is this day and he's not ready. So, yeah, I do think it's more red flags. And, 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 yes, reinforcing, but red flags because why was why did this guy have a bad day when he knew this day was coming up? Colts beat rider. The Dean, Fox 9 and CBS 4 is where you find his work. Mike Chappell with us. Chapp, oftentimes franchise quarterbacks or perceived franchise quarterbacks, it is reported or it is speculated that their input is valued in personnel decisions. Maybe not, I won't go as far to say as they are a deciding factor for personnel decisions, but perhaps their input is at least taken from the general manager. Are we at a point yet with Anthony Richardson or is it still far too early to say that 
his input in maybe a position player or a skill player, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, would be sought out? Well, I think we're way too early. I really do. Because, again, being as honest as you can be, you hope he's a franchise quarterback, but you really don't know. I just mean they believe it, right? I know we don't know, but I think internally, I mean, the, all their chips are on him, right? Not to borrow the Jim Mersey phrase. That, but, doesn't, you know. that doesn't mean I'm going to go to him and say, listen, we're looking at this guy from wherever. What do you think? Now, with Peyton Manning, I don't know what level he had, but there were a couple receivers here because Peyton knew him and liked him. Brandon Soakley. And they brought in a guy, a free agent later on, didn't have much of an impact. He, he was from Tennessee, and his name escapes me. But, no, I, I think now, would they go to Richardson and say, this is what we're going to do, just so he knows? Maybe, maybe. But, no, he's 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 a, a few years away from being, what do you think we need to do? I don't you know. No. Uh, maybe you do that with, gosh, I'm not sure there's a player on there I'd do it with. Uh, because a quarterback's the one that, that matters. You're not going to go to DeForest Buckner and say, what do you think we need to do on defense? So, like, if he texted you know, Boward, Richardson texts Boward and says, hey, there's this player from Michigan that, like, I think would pair well, is that something that is just being, ah, thanks, Anthony, or is that something you think is actual advisement at this point? I would think I'd say, thanks, Anthony. Okay. Well, you know, he's on our radar. Because to, to, to think that Richardson has a guy in mind – that the Colts don't haven't already done some sure. work on is because they've done you know, they, they, again these scouts. I always kind of laugh when I see on on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it now is when the Colts had a scout at uh, South Carolina State looking at this guy. Well, I hope they did because they got a, they got an area scout that that's his job to be there. So now when you see that the GM or the head coaches at a place. Then you take notice, but but the fact that the Colts have people at these workouts, these pro days, of course they do. They they, they should have. If if not, the guy overslept and he's going to have hell to pay. But uh, they, they do their work, and I again, I just think it's way too early to think that Anthony Richardson has a vote in the personnel process. Maybe someday he will. You know, I always wonder how much Andrew Luck might have had. You know, I I don't know if Luck would have wanted to get involved with that. But uh, maybe if you're that quarterback who's who's been there for six, eight years and you've won a Super Bowl or two, they they, they listen to you. But normally guys stay in their own lane. And, and Ballard and his guys, they do this. This is what they do. This is what they do in these scouts. These, these area scouts, I mean, they're on the road forever. I bet they wake up some days and they have to remind themselves what city they're in because they go to so many places, but uh, everybody's got a job to do, and I just don't think we're anywhere close to Anthony Richardson saying, you know, we could really use a tight end, and this guy, I really like what I see. I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Do you believe, Mike, that they are, at this point, a sound enough or balanced enough roster that they can literally go best player available? Or are they going to say – Look, we got two areas, and the first two rounds; these are the only two areas we're hitting. No, I, I, I think they, I, I think they take best player, and I think there's a good chance that best player will coincide with one of what we consider the, you know, the areas of need: uh, cornerback, safety, safety. Fifteen is probably high for a safety, but corner. I think a receiver. I, retaining Pittman, in my mind changes nothing on needing an addition to the receiver room. I've seen uh, 
the Georgia tight end Bowers. I wouldn't mind him at fifteen. Uh, and, and I wrote I wrote about this last week. I think one thing maybe we talked about it, but the thing that's really going to benefit the, the Colts is like like one draft. It was Matt Miller of ESPN had five quarterbacks going in the top fifteen in the top thirteen. Well, that's great for the Colts because that just drives people down. So yeah, I, I but because of all that, I think they're going to have a really really quality player, whether it's a corner, whether it's a receiver, whether it's you know Bowers at tight end if he lasts that long, and maybe even in the second round you can address one of those needs. Good because you know we always say what their top four needs are, and most of us in the media we agree on what they are. And I, I think the Colts probably, you know, they, they probably agree with us to some level, not that they would ever really come out and admit it. So they're, they're, they're going to be able to address those needs, corner, receiver, defensive end. I mean, maybe I, you know, it, it's kind of crazy that a team that's had a, an indie record with 51 sacks needs help at, at pass rush, but they do. They need a guy. They need the guy. Whether you can get that guy at 15, you know, they got Freeney at, what, 11? Uh, so, but I, I would love to see a, a pass rusher who is the guy, and I just don't think that guy's on the roster. What the leader was Ekubon with was it nine and a half? I think. Chap, and, this here's the thing though. I don't disagree with you, but it feels to me like I'd like to see a pass rusher taken up high for the Colts has been like rinse and repeat for like eight years now. I know. Well, nope. right. Does that and, speak? And, does that speak more? towards the challenge in finding that player or more on the Colts misfiring on their scouting of guys in that area? Probably both. Uh, and if, if you bring in a guy with a top 15 pick, does that mean that you you said, well, Pay and, and Dio aren't the guys? Uh, I, I don't know because, I mean, those were two high draft picks, a one or a two. And they each showed. I mean, they each took a step forward last year. That they both had their their best career seasons. But do, do you look at Quiddy and think, you know, this guy's going to be fourteen, fifteen sack guy? I, I don't. I I I think he's a really, really good player. I think I saw that his fifth year option is going to be thirteen million. So you'd have him for two more years. Uh, the fifth year being thirteen, which is which is a decent number, which is, which is a, a livable number. But do you think that he's going to be the guy? I don't know. So, no, you're right, because they, they've missed on guys. Ture and Basham, they, they missed on them. And that goes back to the, uh, the previous regime with uh, Bjorn Werner. They missed on guys. And, and the, previous, the regime before that was Jerry Hughes. Now, he was really good in Buffalo. Didn't do squat here. It, it's a hard position. And the further down you go in the list, the, the more risk you get, because there was a, there's a reason the guy's not Will Anderson – as a top three pick, so yeah, it's that, that's a good point. Is is why do we expect you to get it right this time when you weren't able to get get it right previously? Well, you're drafting higher, but yeah, I I, I, I don't mind the the sack by committee guys. So boy, I much prefer having a guy that you go into a game and this if they don't account for this guy, you know, you're going to have trouble. Most of those guys are just top. They're they're top ten picks. And they're top ten picks for a reason, and you're picking top ten for a reason. And the Colts have to hope that you know picking fifteenth is they won't be that high in the order for a while. Because if you're successful, you're just not in that position to get that guy. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Fox 9 and CBS 4's Mike Chappell is our guest. Chap, as we know, it is Combine Week and it was reported start of the year that Indianapolis and the NFL had reached an agreement to keep the Combine in Indianapolis for at least one more year after this in 2025. I know how we all feel collectively, both all of us here in the studio and you yourself, about the city of Indianapolis as the perfect spot for this event, a perfect spot for all events, really, that can host, whether it's sports, whatever it is, how equipped the city is. Are we ever going to be at a point where the can isn't being kicked down the road and there's real stability once again around this event or is this forever going to be a oh i hope they don't access and go to la this year like is this are we ever going to get back to stability for this event i don't think so just because if we've learned anything and that is the nfl gets what the nfl wants i mean you know they're playing in you know in london they're playing in germany and what's the next in brazil so they're hell-bent on doing this, and they move the draft. I mean, they're moving the draft from city to city. So I think that I think the league looked at, well, if the draft work, we can take the draft from Chicago to New York, or from New York to Chicago to Nashville to wherever it's at, Detroit, Las Vegas. Well, it's not the same. It's, it's you know, I always say it's apples and aardvarks. It's not the same. Uh, it, it works here because everything is centralized downtown. Most importantly, the, the medical and it's been rumored, or, or, or they've tried to make this thing mobile the last, gosh, I remember talking to Jeff Foster, uh, the last three or four years, it's always, well, we're, we're year to year, and they really wanted to go to Dallas. L.A. was the big one after they got the new stadium out in the L.A. area. That, but it's just, and I, I kind of think what's going to happen is they're going to take this after next year or the year after that, and they're going to go somewhere let's say LA and because for some reason they think that a bigger market is going to mean what a bigger, uh, I, I don't know. How, how do you make it more accessible? It's, I mean, there's only so much you can do marketing uh, and they're going to go somewhere and it's going to be a complete cluster. It's just not going to work because of, well, this, this kid needs an, an, a follow-up MRI. So let's take, well, that's, that's a 35 minute drive to wherever. I think they're going to find out that, that it, it works here and they shouldn't have left here, and they're going to be bullheaded and move anyway in a couple of years just to prove that they tried it. And then they come back here and say, well, yeah, I guess it, I guess this is, this is the best place. And we like it because if, if it's elsewhere, that I doubt if I go to – I'm not going to go to L.A. for crying out loud. And maybe maybe the, the hardcore media guys will still – they'll go wherever it goes because that's, that's their job. I like it because, you know, we get our coach and our GM here, and then we get access to Marvin Jr. and Caleb Williams and all these guys. It's a 10-minute drive from my house as opposed to being a week somewhere. So, yeah. but, but it works. It works here, and, but, but I, I do think what, the way the NFL does it, this will move at some point because that's what the NFL wants it to do. Chap, it feels like the NFL's pursuit of a non-Indianapolis home for the Combine is as rhetorical a subject matter as the Colts' pursuit of defensive pass rush help at the Combine, right? Yeah. It, and, but, but again, it's inevitable. And you're always trying to find that pass rush guy. And, and you know, the, the Colts haven't – it's kind of like the quarterback thing until until last year. 
again, it's going to be a topic of discussion until it's not. And, and I understand you explore, you explore, you, you, you explore all the, the pass rush guys, and can this guy sit? And this, and you explore, is it better to move the combine somewhere else? And if you if you poll the GMs and the head, really the GMs, head coaches, I guess, but it would be eighty percent wanted to stay here, just because it works. Again, right. again, it's, it's like any event, the, the Final Four. Outside media, you, you you take a shuttle from the airport to downtown. I mean, I mean, Mike, you, how else do these guys end up on Eddie White's Instagram, right? I mean, you move it elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. We get, and, 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 and does every place have a steak and shake? Is that still open downtown? I think it is. Well, I don't know that Indianapolis does anymore, right? Um, well, I tell you, we've got one here in my Beach Grove, and I tell you, I drive by there, and it's immediate seating all the time. I <laughs> don't have, but, but still, it's just everything's right there, and it's equipped. That's why it's funny. when what, what, what the combine is for the city is just another convention instead of, you know, future farmers or whatever. It's a convention, and, and Indy's such a great convention host because it's got everything you need. Everything's walkable. You know, I think this is a great place for the Super Bowl. I don't think it'll ever come back here. I just don't. You know, they, they had the one shot, and they knocked it out of the park, but I don't think Indy ever gets it back. I think Indy will get the draft in a few years. I know they, there's a big push to get Indy in the, for the host of draft. But yeah, the 900,000 people on Monument Circle for the NFL draft, right? That's the release oh, number. It, 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 and, and this city will knock it out of the park. It, I, I won't like it because then we got to somehow cover it, and it's a pain in the ass to do that. But again, it's just all, all, the, all these conventions, they, they come here because it works. In the combine, it, it's just kind of cool that for like eight or nine days, Indy is, is the center of the NFL universe. Anybody who is anybody in the NFL for the most part, is here. And we have access to them, and it's really kind of cool. And in a couple of years, it'll be somewhere else because that's what the NFL wants. I, I believe that. Chap, lastly, um, in a yes-no answer, T. Higgins getting the franchise tag. $21.816 million is what he will get, estimated as a wide receiver getting tagged by the Cincinnati Bengals. Their decision to tag T. Higgins – does or does not have any impact on what the Colts do with Michael Pittman? Zero. Gotcha. Colts are going to do what the Colts are going to do, and they're going to tag him because gotcha. that's just what you do. Okay. Uh, Mike, we appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you, and, and certainly probably see you walking around the Combine as well. So we'll catch up, all right? Be well. Talk to you guys later. All right, sounds good. Uh, Mike Chappell from WXIN and CBS4.